Hey humans, it's uh, a few days before Christmas, and the Chiefs are 2-0 and since we stopped mentioning our new sponsor. Chiefsmas! But, but you guys listen regularly, so you know who they are, you know the services that they provide, and uh, we're going to trust that you want to go out and support Amateur Hour and support our sponsors, and... Uh, you know, get some get some gifts, get some Christmas cheer, probably for the men in your life, I would imagine. Shout out to the sponsor that shall not be named. And uh, we're gonna do things just a little bit different today because it's Christmas time. So uh, let's uh, talk some Chiefs, Elvis Presley style. That's right, it's Christmas time, pretty babies, here at Amateur Hour. Welcome in, I'm Ryan Scott Hall, and the buddy over there laughing while he's got a cat, sniffing his pits. Sniffing and, my pits! And biting his wrists. I don't blame the cat. The one and only, his darkness. Sup? Dirty Doodle. His pits are in good shape. How's the game on Saturday, Enrique man? victory. Yo. Yikes. If that's what victory smells like, man, I'm a Browns fan. <laughs> I think that joke goes both ways. Uh, the game was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I like the result. Really so, great time. Yeah. Really great. So it was you and... Got nice and lubed up, thanks to Craig Stout and Pixelated Brewing. Yeah, I got, I got a couple You will not find their beers in stores, because I learned that the hoops you have to run through to get your beers in stores is not fun. I can imagine. Chris, uh, so, Craig and I have talked about before, like, what would it cost to, like, get you production, you know, worthy of distribution? He's like, you know, like $300,000. Yeah. He's yeah. like... Well, yeah, he's breaking up for me. It's uh, not. Good, good luck with that. Not even in play. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, so it was, but it was you and and Craig and Mike, right? Yes. So V day at V day O two or something like that. Maybe I don't remember what the actual handle is. Sorry, Mike. Um, and then Craig is at Barley Hop. Uh, all right. So tell me, like, just give me, give me the, give me the story. Give me the lay of the land. Uh, man, not much story here. Drank. We went to the uh, Tickets for Less booth. Oh, I, I did get uh, some five-star treatment at Tickets for Less. Yeah? I kind of walked up and I was like, I didn't have any tickets or anything. All I had was some, some DMs that they were they were shooting at me. And okay. they told me, just as, tell them my last name and I'd be fine. As far as getting tickets or as far as getting into the tailgate? Getting into the tailgate. Okay. So you had... Yeah, yeah, no, we had tickets. tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, not that dumb. Uh, although my brother did buy some tickets on StubHub this week, and they didn't work. Didn't get in the game. Or eventually got in the game, but it took about an hour to get into the game. His tickets were counterfeit, I guess. Never seen that happen on a StubHub or, or anything. But he, like, went through and had to show them in the emails and all this different stuff, yeah. and then got in with the counterfeit tickets? I no, guess? they had to end up buying other tickets. Oh. At a discounted rate, and they're still—I mean—they got to figure it all out. Still, it's like under investigation or whatever. Wow! Uh, but you don't expect that from tickets for less, because they're our friends, friends of the uh, podcast. Hopefully, future bigger friends of ours. Uh, but 
So I show up and I'm, and I'm they're like, do you have tickets? I'm like, no, nah, I just have like a last name. And I was like, it's, well, I almost said it. Well, it's a uh, Niss is my last name. <laughs> Dirk Niss. <laughs> it's a uh, Niss. <laughs> N-E-S-S? And, then, and they just kind of stared at me like I was a, like as an idiot. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, I got my friends here. We don't have any food and we're going to be screwed. And then I was, like, I was like, oh, I got these Twitter DMs. And she's like, oh, you're who I've been talking to. Like, come on in. And, and just like starts showing us around and gets really excited. And like, so I'm so happy to have you here. And so glad that you gave us a shout out on Twitter. And lo, I was like, yeah, you guys must think I'm way more important than I actually am. So well, thanks I'm, for that. I'm glad that you didn't say that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, we uh, did such a nice job of promoting tickets for less. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hopefully. Hopefully in the future. Right on. Uh, how about you? Watching oh. it in Hayes, Kansas. Oh, man. Okay, so... Uh, Craig, among a few other people, told me that I had to go to this brewery called LB Brewing. I don't know if that's like pound, or if it's just the letters <laughs> LB, I don't know. It's linebacker. But, um... Linebacker Brewing. So I get out there, uh, LB's a... Like, it's a pretty cool setup. Um, it's at this restaurant called Gellis. And, uh, I went in, I sat down, and I guess I didn't really think about it as far as, like, I should try as many beers as I can. I was just like, give me a beer. So I drank, like, three full beers before I was like, man, I should maybe sample some stuff. Um, anyway, long story short, at LB's, had some really, really great beers. It's a pretty cool place. They don't distribute at all. So, like, you can buy growlers from them, and you can buy bombers from them. Bongs? Yeah. Hello Sweet. Kitty Bongs only, though. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and but that's it. They don't sell it in stores at all. Uh, but it has some great beer. Got some. Got a t-shirt and a pint glass and got a growler. Brought it home. And, uh, and then I left and I was going to go back to the hotel because I was like, man, I had like four different people that I was talking to at the brewery. They're like, oh, are you, are you from around here, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, just so you're aware, cops are really bad in haze. Had a number of people warn me. Mm. So I drove back to the hotel and then figured I would get an Uber to go to the other place that I was going to drink and watch the game. Uber's just for people that are too lazy to learn how to drive drunk. <laughs> um, That's a beep quote, by the way. Oh, okay. Well... So, when I get in my car, and I'm I'm a little buzzed. Hey, buzz driving is not drunk driving. That's what they say. And I get on my GPS to tell me how to get back to the hotel, and it takes me directly through a parade that is getting ready to start. Chiefs parade? Uh, no, like a Christmas parade oh, in downtown Hayes. Week. And I mean, dude, there are like floats. There are, pe- like, the whole, this, like, main street in Hayes, like, completely lined with people on both sides of the street. Cops everywhere. And I'm just, like, 10 and 2, trying to, try to get through here as quick but as slow as possible. And uh, made it out unscathed. So you were in the parade? Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't stop me or anything, but it was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Where do I go? I'm just following my GPS. There's only one street in town, and there's a parade on it. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I end up at the Golden Q, as we talked about. Um, so, I'm sitting there, I, I, I belly up to the bar at the Golden Q, and um, 
I'm sitting next to this guy. He's a, he's a nice guy. He seemed nice. Kind of a townie, I guess. I don't like him. And <laughs> he, uh, it, we, were, we were talking about the game. I'm wearing my Chief stuff, and he's asking me how I felt. Are we going to win? And he's just going on and on about how we got to beat the Chargers. we got to take control of the division. And then uh, without skipping a beat... While telling me all about the Chiefs and the things that we needed to do, Marcus Peters shows up on the screen and he goes, Fuck that guy! (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wait, wait, what? And he was like, that fucker won't stand for the National Anthem. He's the only one on the team that doesn't have any respect for our country or our flag. There you go. He's a good football player, but fuck that guy! And I was like, um... Oh, Okay. Didn't didn't want to like get confrontational. Certainly not at like the very beginning of me probably going to be at this bar for like four hours. <laughs> so um, I just that is not shocking whatsoever to just, hear from a small Kansas town. <laughs> just left it alone. In fairness, I do think that there are probably plenty of people in Johnson County that might react that same way, depending on you know where you are. There might I mean I'm sure there's plenty of people on both sides of the state line. That would act that way. Um, but certainly when you get into small town America, I I was not surprised by that reaction. I will tell you that ultimately, um, I mean, I had a great meal. I was there for like four hours and my check was like $22. Mm. It was very, very cheap. 22 Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Not, not strategic or anything, but, um, you know, it... It was uh, it was definitely an interesting experience because I was there. So was it packed? Um, no, I mean, I, you know what? I guess it was busy, but like, it just didn't. Um, it wasn't what I expected when I was thinking like, you know, where essentially I'm essentially like in a one bar, not like a one bar town. That's not fair, but I mean, I don't know. I guess I just. I, I expected that it was going to be like completely packed and filled with Chiefs fans and really lively and everything. Um, and it wasn't like people weren't really there for the Chiefs, I guess. Well, there's a parade going on. Can't blame the, can't blame the folks. I, I guess that's true. It's a Christmas parade. Um, I don't know, man. It was, it was really interesting. So I, I ended up meeting up with a couple guys there. One of them... Um, is the brother of a guy that used to work for me at Minsky's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hung out with Seth Kincaid and then uh, Matt Hastings. Shout out to those guys for showing me some hospitality. And we got to uh, got to talk some Chiefs. But like I'm, I'm essentially like cheering very loudly when Marcus Peters makes plays. <laughs> and like I had people like telling me to shut up. All right. Like they did not want to hear it. Awesome. Um, honestly, the loudest cheer of the night was the only touchdown that San Diego scored, um, or whatever the Carson Chargers. No, that's right too. It was, it was. I don't know, man. It was a, it was a very weird experience. It was not what I expected at all. I mean, I had a good time. Chiefs won. Cool. So Fuck I didn't care, but Fuck Um, I wanna, I wanted to hear from you about some of the the things inside the stadium. Um, as well as obviously we talked about the parking lot, but um, first and foremost, were you in there like for player introductions? Yes. So I heard that they introduced the defense. Yes. And always a good key to victory. Um, it I was, hate I hate introducing the offense for the record. It's it's yeah. just like 
first, you gotta listen to the five offensive linemen get introduced. Uh, it doesn't set the tone. Like I want the defense. I want even like Giannis. even like in the Dick Vermeil years, you wanted to introduce the defense. Well, that might have been different. <laughs> okay. Um. So I in listening to the guys from the Star. So Dave Hewlett, who's like the main photographer, sports photographer for the Star. Um, you know, he gives them the sort of like from the field perspective because they're 15 stories high up in the press box. Mm -hmm. And he said that it definitely felt like the vast majority were cheers for Marcus Peters and then a couple of the the guys on the A-team. I think it was Blair Kirkhoff specifically that he was like, do you wonder a little bit about like the the over cheer because they want to drown out the booze, which would have totally been me in the stands cheering even louder and more obnoxiously for Peters because I want to try to, you know, I guess count out however many, many booers I possibly can. Um, what did you, I mean, what, what did you think the reaction to Peters was, at least when he was introduced? Uh, nothing really. Uh, I didn't hear any booze. Yeah. Nothing. No. Nothing stuck out. Okay. I cheered for him. That was it. So... Um, I mean, how much how how much do you remember this football game? What are you? I remember some things. Yeah. Okay. What are the things about the game that stood out to you, at least like from your in stadium experience? I don't know. I mean, there was there's a ton of empty, empty seats by me at kickoff, and I was kind of worried because I was in the cheap seats, and I was just like, these seats are gonna be empty because it was like half the fucking section. Uh, it did end up filling up throughout the first quarter. It was just I think by chance that they were all kind of together. Mm -hmm. Uh. Other than that, I mean, I I, ne I can never get a gauge for the Arrowhead crowd because I, I yell on every single defensive play, so I have no idea how loud the crowd is. Mm -hmm. uh, when I watched on TV, I rewatched the game yesterday, I thought they sounded extremely loud. Yeah, Personally, I, mean, I don't know if that's just because like NFL Network has different audio, but when I when I was watching the game, I was like, holy shit, it sounds like the loudest I've heard Arrowhead in years. Yeah, I mean, I sent out a tweet not, not knowing anything about the in-stadium experience, but like, dude, Arrowhead was... Ah, they mm -hmm. were they were getting after. It was a good rescue for him. I mean, I Saturday night, uh, no work the next day. Very cheap tickets, so Andy Reed got the good fans out there. Andy pointed that out. What do you say? Cheap no, tickets? None of you guys have to work on Sunday, so yeah. uh, you should go out. Have Get a little lubed up. <laughs> I think people did. All right, that's good. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of that's what I was in, interested in. At least was your experience. In the stadium. Yeah, I don't have too um, much from that. I didn't see no Peter's hostility. I didn't even enter my mind, really. Okay. It was not even in my realm. All right. Well, Dirk, you're steering this thing today. All right. I want to go back. I want to start with going back two weeks ago. This team was spiraling out of control. Had lost five of six. Uh, and Andy Reid decides to suspend Marcus Peters. And we kind of debated that for a long time on the show. And I think your stance was, he's doing this to get the best out of Marcus Peters. Yeah. And my stance was, he's doing this to get the best out of the team. And I think what we've ultimately seen is that we were both completely right. Mm -hmm. And Andy Reid's move worked to perfection. Like, it was kind of like one last hope uh, to get something out of this team because the season seemed completely lost. And it was like... You could say it was out of desperation, or you could say it was just like him sticking to his morals no matter what the situation was. You know, who knows? But I, I 
it's hard to deny that the team played with extra juice against Oakland and maybe it's best game of the season or at least best since New England, mm-hmm. I think I would say. And and then seeing Marcus Peters on Saturday night take his game to a whole other level. And so I think the suspension brought the best out of Marcus Peters. And so I just think, you know, if this season amounts to anything, we're going to be looking at that decision to suspend Marcus Peters as the turning point, to wake up the team and to wake up Peters and to get this team united and on back on the right track. And I just think it was a uh, beautiful move. Beautiful. So I, I want to – I don't disagree, um, but, I mean, was – was there, do you think, genuine surprise on anyone's part that he decided to end up suspending Marcus? Like, uh, yeah, I'd say so. I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't, I wasn't thinking a full game was coming. <clears throat> okay. I was thinking maybe he doesn't say anything and he sits out the first quarter. Uh, I don't know, maybe a half or something, but it was just, bam, there mm-hmm. it is. I just, I don't know, for whatever Which, reason, I just kind of had this feel that, like, I expected it. That just felt like... Well, See, I, I didn't think either of the actions, I mean, throwing the NFL's, throwing the flag, I mean, it's obviously bad, and that's going to get an NFL fine, and I didn't think much more than that. Leaving the field, I thought was just a miscommunication. I didn't think that was a huge right. part in it. Right. And we kind of learned that there was more about it, more to the story later, uh, with the, uh, what's the guy in the NFL Network? Garoppolo, I think? Mike Garoppolo? Garoppolo? Gareth, Garoppolo. Janine Garoppolo? I think is his no. Name? It's Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People keep talking about him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He must be a great reporter. Well, yeah, it's his reports on Peters. Okay. He has had the scoop on it actually. Okay. And uh, but he was talking about Peters getting to do it with the coach on the bus after the game and whatnot. And I always thought there was more to the story because I just didn't think uh, what we had seen warranted that suspension. Um, regardless, I, I think the team has put their best foot forward. Team and Marcus Peters to put their best foot forward from that moment. And yeah, I mean, the, the reaction as far as the team is concerned, and I guess Marcus obviously too, um, I mean, it's exactly what you want. I, do you think... Uh, I, I think the, the important thing here is, and I'm, I'm interested in your opinion, is that does this set Marcus and or the team down the right path like going forward, period? Or are we just going to get maybe a few weeks of Marcus is in line and the team is focused again, but then, you know. Well, I mean, there's only a few weeks left, so we think, like, long-term? Yeah, I mean. No, I think it was I think it was an important lesson for Marcus. I mean, he's young. He's still learning. I mean, you expect right. this out of a 23 or 24-year-old, not out of a 26, 27, 28-year-old, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know of any. I think it was a hard life. I think he took it to heart big time. It's, I mean, it Missing sure the Oakland game. seems like it. Um, and so, like, a couple a couple residuals, and I don't know if people care about this stuff or if it's just extracurricular. So, like, every week we get the locker room breakdown yep. from the Chiefs. Yep. Broken down by Marcus Peters. Yep. And that's the end of this story. That's the end. Or the end of this story, not for now, I guess. Right. Um, it's interesting. I, there's like some the end part of, this of that. tale. I will say, not the story. Right. The season's still going on, but the, the Marcus Peter Andy Reid thing. I mean, yeah. we were talking two weeks ago how there's a chance. I mean, we put odds on Marcus Peters playing with the Chiefs in Week One next year. Yeah, and, and I, you said sixty-five percent, and I said eighty percent. I believe. I was I was not. 
confident. And I mean, like that's where we were at. That's yeah. that's where we were at as far as it. And it's just like, you know, we don't know how Marcus is gonna react to this. Yeah, like he could flip out about missing this Oakland game, and you know, I mean, if we lose that game or something, or if Marcus handles it poorly and just doesn't show up for the rest of the season, then demands a trade in the offseason. That was on the table. Yeah, and I think everything from there has worked out how the Chiefs have wanted. Well, I mean, it certainly helps that he comes out and forces three turnovers and the oh, pass yeah. is not completed against him and he's the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. But I, I think that what you end up seeing, at least as far as like the, the team and everyone is concerned, like for all, this, all the stuff that you hear from fans and from, um, I like to use the word entertainers because it's primarily radio, it's not anybody from the newspaper who actually do reporting like, there's, they have all these questions about Peters, and they say that maybe the team doesn't need him, and even if he's talented, they'd be better off if they got rid of him. And, like, the team does not feel that way. The players in that locker room, the coaches, I can't tell you what the front office thinks. I can't tell you what Clark Hunt thinks. But as far as the coaching staff and all the players, they like him. They like him a lot. And I don't think it's just because of his playmaking ability. And... But, I mean, you see when he makes those plays, like, he's getting swarmed by his teammates mm-hmm. on Saturday. They ultimately let him break down the team in the locker room after the game. And it was really interesting. Um, like, some of the audio was, um, like, not intelligible. I couldn't quite pick it up. But what it what I basically pulled from it was, and this is quoting Marcus Peters, they never said it was going to be easy. They never said it was going to be fun. We got to make our own fun. And I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if every one of them identifies with that or if that's just what's on Marcus's heart. Well, they've definitely put an emphasis on fun the last couple weeks. I mean, you get the Chris Jones uh, mock interview kind of thing. You get Tyreek Hill mocking BJ for missing uh, free throws at the hoop in the locker room. Like, yeah. You could definitely tell the locker room swung in those two weeks from like, holy shit, our season's ending and we're having a meltdown on the field to a week and a half later, the fun has returned to the locker room somehow. And I, and I just, I just, I credit Andy Reid for all that. I mean, I'm obviously Andy Reid's guy over here yeah. and maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but it's just like, it's his finger that's on the pulse of the locker room and, and he got it turned around. And I tell you what, man, I, I mean... I want to say that maybe like the the biggest credit in that, inside of the credit that Andy Reid deserves, is just like, at least as far as the media is concerned, we have no idea what he was talking to the team about. But like, Andy Reid was had the consistent message every single week. And while some people might say that that's coach speak or that it's boring, every week the answers are in this locker room. Stick together. Don't get divided. Don't point fingers. We are a team, we are a family, and we're going to get through this. And now they come out on the other side, and maybe this is a conversation for later in the show, but, I mean, they look fantastic. They look fantastic. The Chiefs look really good. I thought that, don't get me wrong, like I was fully anticipating like Rivers screwing it up at some point. Um, Rivers playing at night at Arrowhead. I was just like, I I feel confident because of that. As we should. But 
I mean, there's there isn't really anything that they can do against the Dolphins or the Broncos that I think is going to like put them over the edge as far as like people getting back on board. I think that people are just going to be gun shy about the Chiefs, mm-hmm. um, both locally and nationally, which is fine. But yeah, which is perfectly which is perfectly fine. fine. But like, this team is better with I've, not given a chance. I'm I think I'm I think I'm pretty pretty almost fully on board again. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Like... We're back, baby! They just... Man, they... They look like the team that was crushing people at the beginning of the season. And it sucks that it... You know, you have this big lull in the middle of the year. But if that's what gets everybody off their scent, I'm perfectly fine with that. They do have mm, a feeling about them right now. Yeah. Uh... I don't totally know how to explain it, but but I was kind of talking about this last week. But just like the hitting that low in in a season, and then I mean everybody hopping off the bandwagon and deservedly so. We lost to all three New York teams. Yeah. We we <laughs> lost just, two games in three weeks in the same freaking stadium, this, and it, it wasn't ours. Yeah, and this this season just makes no sense. Like when you look at it, beating the the best two teams in the NFL in the first two weeks, mm-hmm. and then losing to two of the well, I guess the Jets aren't terrible, but two of the what, worst ten teams, I guess. Yeah, and the Bills are are mediocre in a game at home. You're supposed to win. Uh, they have a weird feel. Like I like. It just wouldn't shock me at all. Like this is the season where they finally break out, just because of of the weird circumstances to get here. I I don't, I don't know. It's yeah. just it's it's hard to explain, but it's just a feeling that like, man, they're up top, and then they went all the way down, and now they're climbing all the way back up again. And it just feels like, man, we talked about this every year at this time on this podcast. But are the Chiefs finally peaking like at the right time? Potentially. I mean, the biggest thing for them, honestly. Um, and I think probably most would agree we can't let anybody get hurt. I mean, if if all these key pieces are there, I mean, we can we can weather the storm if Frank Zombo hurts himself. But like, they're I I'm honestly like I'm a little bit worried about the the KPL thing. Does he hurt his shoulder? They're not sure if he's going to play this week. I mean, at this point, he could essentially not play the next two weeks and just be ready, ideally come, uh, you know, the, the first, the wild card weekend. The Chiefs are essentially locked into the four seed. Um, they're two games behind the Jags for the three or whoever else. Uh, no, it's just the Jags with four losses. But two, they can't get the three seed. I think it's mathematically impossible because they can't catch them in the tiebreaker. Um, so, so they can't go higher than four. And if they win the division, they're four. So they're pretty much locked in at four. And we don't know their opponent yet. It looks like the most likely opponent will be the Ravens. Uh, but so could be the Titans or the Bills. Uh, possibly the Chargers, but I don't think they can climb that high either. I think they'll be the six if they get in. Um, but yeah, I just... Yeah. I would I would really like to maybe exercise the last... Well, I say the last playoff game I went to when we lost. No, because that was the Steelers. But, you know, the one before that, when we have this great Jamal Charles touchdown run to start the game and then give up oh, 30 straight points against the Ravens. Yep. Obviously not the same team. Um, Flacco looks like he's sort of catching on a little bit. But, dude, they're they're so weird. I like So, Brandon Kiley was talking about like how it looked like the Ravens were essentially a playoff team and 
I had told you at the beginning of the year, I got, I'm kind of on the Ravens. And I liked the Macklin edition. I really liked adding Danny Woodhead as just like an element for Flacco because he, you know, like just give him a safety valve. It was definitely Macklin and Woodhead that put him over the top. Dude, I mean, <laughs> dude, their offensive numbers are terrible. Yeah, Mike I Wallace is their leading receiver, and he has less than 600 yards. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm like, how has this team got eight or nine wins, whatever they have? Yeah. Like it's, and they got some losses in there. Like they lost to the Jags, like. Like forty-one nothing or whatever it was on on in the London game. The Jags got some really bad losses in there. Yeah, the Jags have put it on some people. I mean, I don't I don't want anybody to go go sleeping on those Jags, but you know, a lot of people are a lot of people are making fun of them because it's Blake Bortles and it's like you know they're beating bad teams and you know, but like Bortles looks looks okay. I mean, I'll still be interested in Blake Bortles in the playoffs. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I would welcome Blake Bortles. I would love to play them. And I can tell you this much: like, if the Chiefs actually got—I don't know how it would have to work—but like, if the Chiefs got to travel to Jacksonville, I mean, it'd be I, the AFC Championship. It'd be if we beat—it's almost the top four seeds in the AFC is almost certainly going to be New England one, Pittsburgh two, Jacksonville three, Chiefs four. So, so if the, be, if the favorites win in the first Chiefs round, host the five seed and then go to New England. Correct. As long as Jacksonville wins, and then Jacksonville would go to Pittsburgh, and then the AFC Championship. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, it is kind of it would be kind of poetic if our AFC path went Ravens, Patriots, Steelers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the three teams that plus whoever Peyton Manning plays on that have really controlled the AFC for what twenty years now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that would be nice. It would signal a changing of the guard of sorts, I guess. Um. But I want to talk about what it would take to beat one of those teams. Um, one of the, the uh, Patriots or Steelers. Mm-hmm. Someone of that class. And I think we talked about Andy turning the season around maybe from an intangible standpoint, from a psychology standpoint. On the field, what's turned the season around is the running game coming back and the front seven playing well. Mm-hmm. Um and so my new theory on this is to beat either the Patriots or the Steelers, we're going to need to get an A-B game out of those two units. And so one of them's going to have to play an A level, and one of them's going to have to play at a B level for us to beat them. And just looking at the last couple weeks, I kind of gave my simple grades on them. Against the Raiders, I'd give the front seven an A, just because I thought they dominated the game, and the Raiders have such a good offensive line. And the running game was an A. because uh, Or maybe, eh, maybe not quite an A. I thought I went with a B there. Let me call it a B. I'll tell you what. In the Chargers game, I thought the running game was fantastic. And in the Chargers game, I had the running game as an A. In the front seven, I gave it like a C+. Plus. C+. Plus. It was a hard grade. But I didn't think the defense was, like, dominant. It was more just like they were giving up plays, but then they had their key players making big plays. Like, it was kind of the Chiefs defense of the last couple years, specifically last year, yeah. where it was just like, you can move the ball on them. And, I mean, Melvin Gordon had... What, 160 total yards or something? Because he almost had 100 receiving. Um, so they, I didn't think they were great, but they came out. I mean, Peters makes plays. Chris Jones got a sack in there. Justin Houston with a big tackle for loss on a run. Like, their big players made enough plays for the defense to play well, and that's what you sure. want. Um, so I think to beat those teams, you're going to need those two units to play well. One of them to play at an A level and one of them to play at a B level to beat those teams. Well... Which is dumbing it down, yes, I realize. But 
That's just what I'm thinking. I think a lot of people are probably um, going to keep a pretty close eye on the Antonio Brown situation. By most um, accounts, he should be back for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... I'll tell you this much. I, I don't have a whole lot of fear about playing the Patriots. I just don't. Really? So you, would um, you rather play the Patriots than the Steelers? Um, we debated this a couple weeks ago, and I think we both said we'd rather play the Steelers. But I think I don't. I think that was just in terms of like, who do you want to play? Um, there's still there's something that, and and maybe because they've had the opportunities, they've had these cracks at them. I mean, we've played Pittsburgh three times in the last two years already. Um, so, I mean, this would be the second year in a row that we would play Pittsburgh twice if we get them in the playoffs. And I just, maybe it is the the familiarity. And, you know, because we had so many conversations about how do we get past Denver. And it took finally being able to get to that level with them of intensity and it, you know, seemingly just like a like, big brother, little brother mentality. Sort of, yeah. And I mean, like, <clears throat> like Denver won the game where we dominated, but they just kind of, you know, imposed their will over us because yeah. they're they've owned us and they had all the confidence in the world that they're going to beat us. So even though we, you know, that week two game I'm talking about here, yeah. even though we outgained them by what 250 yards or whatever, they still won the game. Yeah. And I I think that the biggest thing with the Chiefs and Steelers right now, it's a mental edge. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't think that Pittsburgh has outplayed the Chiefs. Um, I would say maybe, if anything, it sounds really weird because it's just so rare that you ever say it. But I think that maybe Pittsburgh has outcoached the Chiefs. You know, when you're talking about uh, being yeah. able oh, for, yeah. for them to be patient enough in that playoff game to kick six field goals to never really pressure themselves to feel like we have to get a touchdown and it ends up paying off. And and to stick to the running game. Yeah. I think that's one of the big keys to beating the Chiefs is, you know, having, you know, having the wherewithal to stick with the running game. Just stick with it over and over. And don't be like, don't get... Because when the Chiefs play their bend but don't break defense and you can just run for five yards at a time, they, they feast on when you get impatient and go for that big play or something, or challenge Peters or something. And that's when they their big players come up and make plays. I, but the Steelers, in their games, have always stuck with the run. That's true. And, I you know, it'll be interesting, though. We've seen the adjustments that Bob Sutton has made to the defense, and some of it is the alignment, some of it is the personnel. We know that, like, the main change that it seemed like he made was – Raglan, KPL, and Derek Johnson kind of in a three-way split and using them in the right situations. And, you know, Sutton seemed to be pulling the strings, and it's and it was working. Um, I think they said that in the last five weeks or six weeks or something, since it seemed like they started making a change against, against the run, that the Chiefs are like fifth in the NFL in yards per carry mm-hmm. or yards per game or it's, it's, a stat that Chris Jones told us for some reason yeah I mean it's how does, how does Chris Jones have the stat <laughs> you know it seems like uh, as far as against the run that I mean I wouldn't say that they've fixed it but I mean let's Close. say let's say the best performance that we've seen from them I would certainly say is Buffalo as far as the run game is concerned because yes. 
McCoy had 20-plus carries, and I think he had less than 50 yards. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, they, we still ended up losing, but just in terms of, you know, how do you think the Bills are going to beat you, you assume it's going to be LaShawn McCoy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they bottled him up. So, I mean, none of these other teams have been especially successful. Yeah, the other great football, run defense has been against Oakland, and they just they never commit to the run. Right, I mean, and but Marshawn had 61 yards on nine carries or yeah. something. So, I mean, it wasn't like we had shut him down. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously still plenty of fear as far as Le'Veon Bell is concerned. Um, I think that they've also, this this emergence that seems like ha- has happened with Juju in Pittsburgh is, is a little scary. But, I mean, I think that... I think the Steelers have the best team in the NFL. I mean, I don't think that means they're going to win because I think New England has the mental edge over them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if New England has the mental edge in in like a micro sense over the Chiefs because I feel like the Chiefs have confidence not just because they've now you know let's say the core of the team has beaten them both home and away, but you know the the full team, the entirety of this team beat New England on the road to open this season. And that was, I mean, that was a playoff game, even though it wasn't. Like, that's as difficult a game as I think you're going to get. And so you get into the playoffs, and it is a little bit different, for sure. But, I mean, of all of the guys on this team, especially the ones that we count on, who hasn't played in a playoff game? Pick one. It's Reggie Raglan. That's it. Like... Everybody else was on the team last year. We're not. We're Kareem playing. Hunt. Yeah, Kareem Hunt. But like Jehu Chesson, one of the best gunners in the NFL. We we have. They keep hearing the stat about we have the fewest snaps from our rookie class of any team in the NFL. Hmm. I mean, and I don't. I don't think that a, it's a playoff game. So suddenly Kareem Hunt's going to be rattled. Like I just don't. I don't buy that. No. So I mean, I don't. I don't fear going into New England. In a, a like a, in, in like the smaller sense of just like I think we can I think we can play that team I think we can beat that team, the mental edge that Pitt, that uh, New England has is just they're, they're the Patriots. Yeah, you know they always just, think they're going. It's just it's the Patriots. Like right? the confidence that some teams have over some other teams, New England has that over everybody. Everybody except apparently Miami. Yeah, in, in Miami. <laughs> Weird. Um, I mean, I still feel I would rather have Pittsburgh because. I just fear Brady and Belichick in the playoffs so much more. And I don't think we got the best of the Patriots that night because they had a lot of new pieces. And I don't think they had them quite figured out yet. And Rob Gronkowski has gotten healthier throughout the season. Because I've been, I've been watching him closely, and the first couple weeks it was like that, what year was that, 2014 when, when New England came here, and it was just like, Gronkowski can't run. He can't mm-hmm. move. Like, his, his dominance is over. And obviously he came back to himself. Uh, and then in the week one this year, in the first couple weeks even, I was watching Gronkowski and it's just like, man, he is so slow. Like he's still this giant man, but he can't run quick enough to get separation from anybody. Yeah. And then against Pittsburgh, man, he just took over that game. That, that drive where it was all Gronkowski. And then the two-point conversion where he catches it over him and just like, Man, that was a dominant stretch of football. And yeah. I don't know who on our team can, can cover Gronkowski. Um, I mean, honestly, I think if, if you're Bob Sutton, if you're the Chiefs, 
it, you just say like pick two guys, and and I would honestly like if I were Sutton, and I could be totally wrong here. Maybe this isn't the right way to handle it, but like if I were Bob Sutton, I honestly think that I would just like ask the guys on the team. <laughs> I'd just be like, seriously, like I need two of you to cover Gronk all day. Who yep. wants to do it? Yep. And I mean. I wouldn't be upset if Eric Murray said, I don't want to be responsible for that. Or if Derek <laughs> oh, God, Johnson I said, not. I don't I don't want to, I'm not fit to Oh, do God, that. I hope not Derek Johnson. But that's what I'm saying. It's that's like, the problem. You go down the list, and I don't want any of those guys on him. So, I mean, honestly, if I'm looking at, you know, trying to put two bodies on Gronk and just doing it throughout the game, I mean, I'm... I think Ron Parker might have the best shot. That's kind of what I was thinking is Parker and then... Terrence Mitchell, and, maybe. And, like, KPL, maybe. Mitchell's Richie. Mitchell's a little too handsy, I think. Problem and, is, and, if you put a corner on them, they'll always just go run because he can block. And that's you just what bring him in like, and then go blocking, like... If I could have Parker and Pierre Lewis or something and just be like, well, I, I mean, we are dedicating two players to Gronk all day long. So that means, like, I mean... I, I for at that point I'm probably saying that Peters has to be on Cooks the whole game. I mean, but we're we're talking about Good luck like, with that. Ryan's Ryan is sitting here trying to draw up something that I don't think Sutton would ever do. What? But I mean that was what that was the conversation that we had in week four or something was like it was great to beat the Patriots, but like I'm afraid of having to play them in the playoffs because who's gonna cover Gronk? Yeah. We have There's to spend the out. rest of this season figuring out who's gonna cover Gronk. Yeah. And I mean, we don't we don't have an answer for that no. right now. No. Um, I think that the We're Chiefs... We're not tough times stopping either offense. So maybe the answer is as simple as Pittsburgh has a better defense than, than New England. Or are they both about the same now? I think that With Shazier out and with New England's defensive emergence, maybe those are equals too. They're pretty... Yeah, I think they're pretty even. I think that the Chiefs can score on both teams. They're going to have to do something a little bit different to, to prove to people that they can score on Pittsburgh because for whatever reason they haven't been able to. Um... But I think that they can. And honestly, like, they've been close enough to Pittsburgh the last two times that they've played them that, like, I do feel like they're due. They're due to be able to beat that team. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's obviously what it, let's say, for all intents and purposes, I think that's what it comes down to. That's what this whole year has come down to is can you beat New England or Pittsburgh and most likely you're going to have to end up doing it on the road. And that's, you know, we've got two weeks left in the regular season, but that's still pretty much what we're looking at. Um, You said, I saw you kind of tweeting after the game and it was basically like, sign me up for an AFC championship loss. Um, (laughs) Is that... When you when when you entered this season, obviously things changed, you know, around week three, and you could just call it week five if you want. When the Chiefs are five and zero, oh, entering that Pittsburgh game, it was basically like if you beat Pittsburgh, I mean, AFC is the race for the AFC one seed is pretty much over, right? Um, and and things started going downhill from there. But entering the season, if I told you that the Chiefs lost in the AFC Championship game, you're probably going to say that's successful. Right? Yeah, I think almost everyone would take that. And I mean, even even if it's in week five leading up to that Pittsburgh game, it doesn't matter about what seed you were or what happened in the season. You lost in the AFC Championship game. You're probably still going to be like, okay, right? I mm-hmm. mean, 
you know, just because the team looked great after five weeks, you're still looking at like way out in front of you. And just if you hear you're going to lose in the AFC Championship game, you're going to, I think you're still going to feel pretty good about a season that, for all intents and purposes, seems like a little bit of a transition year mm-hmm. for the team. Um, I just, uh, I, I, I'm interested to see how the team reacts over the next couple of games because I, I think it'll be telling if they blow them out. Yeah. Cause I think it's kind of weird that like you'd think this huge telling factor of like a Super Bowl team would be beating other good teams. But in history, it's it's been proven more that it's blowing out bad teams mm-hmm. is what Super Bowl teams do. Uh, and so I just want this. I want them to go into the playoffs with all the momentum in the world. I want mm-hmm. them to have come off these two big games, two big division wins, and then just blow these two crappy teams out. And and mm-hmm. you know, let's go. Time to time to fire. And generally speaking, the the Broncos game, especially um, if and when the Chiefs emerge victorious from the game against Denver, um, or sorry, uh, uh, Miami, like that, that Broncos game, like Mahomes is probably playing. I mean, that seems, that seems like what everyone is saying is that you'll, you'll probably see Mahomes at that point. Which Um, would be super weird. Yeah. It'd be very, very strange. Like, I mean, like just the scenarios of that game. What if he sucks? I don't think it matters. It I think sucks. it does. I mean, I'm, nah. I'll let you know why later. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I, what if he throws for 500 yards? <laughs> I mean, who all's who all's benched? So if if Mahomes goes out and throws for 500 with Demarcus Robinson and Jehu with, Chesson, yeah. like I mean, you could say, man, Mahomes looked great, but like that doesn't mean that we're gonna suddenly say we've really got to get Jehu Chesson 40 snaps in the playoff game, like. No, it'd be half people saying we should start Mahomes in the playoff game. <laughs> and that's just uh, it's yeah. not going to happen. No, but it would, it it would dominate a, the conversation. I guarantee you that. Right. It might be a false equivalency on my part, but like it's just Mahomes could have a great performance. But I mean, it, the only way that I would be convinced, and like, and even then, I probably wouldn't. But he'd have to be playing with every other starter. Like, the ones, period. And the only change that you see on the offense is Mahomes instead of Alex. Also, do I don't you, think that they'll do that. Do you want to throw out Mahomes with, like, the backup offensive line against Denver? Is that really what we want to do? I mean, no, not really. That's, but, not, oh, I think that that's not a great Denver is idea in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I get they I mean, folded, but man... I don't know. Sticking it to Kansas City could could bring him some joy. I Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really want... Who's our backup tackle? Jordan Devy? I don't really want Jordan Devy out there blocking Von Miller for 40 passing snaps. Yeah, I don't either. I'll, I'll tell you this much. Uh, what, what I would really like to see... Um, the Chiefs are favored by 10 on Christmas Eve against the Dolphins. Um, you know, we mentioned last week there was a, a quote from... Uh, what's that guy's name? Scott... Cashmere? Yeah. Cashmere. Cashmere? I don't know, whatever. Cashmere! Um, that dude from Football Outsiders that basically said, like, someone had tweeted him, and it's, I think it was a Chargers fan that was like, I get the feeling we're going to get blown out, and he said, the Chiefs don't blow anybody out. You know, and then they went and did that. Um, I think that Miami just played their Super Bowl against New England. And, yeah, that's very and possible. I, I'm, I'm really hoping that the Dolphins 
come up to cold ass Kansas City on Sunday, and which they the just Chiefs did in and, cold ass Buffalo. Yeah, and I and I them laying an egg there was one of the more predictable games of the season. I I just really like to see they still got the some Chiefs talent. They like do. Cutler can have good games. I think that's the only worry is if he's on his game. I think it's more likely he throws three picks. Yeah. Um, King and Drake is a very good running back. Uh, they got that corner playing well, Xavier Howard. Yeah. I don't know. Are you are you scared of it at all? I'm not. I mean, the Chiefs are favored by ten for a reason. The thing is, and I, and mean, I just whether they cover that ten or not, it doesn't matter to me. I want them to win first and foremost, but I really like to see them win by and there's, two to three. Scores. There's not much pressure on us because we have the Denver game in our back pocket if we screw it up. Yeah. So like, even it's not like if it's close at halftime, like all of a sudden it's like, oh fuck, we're gonna blow this. It's like, all right. We're going to pull this out, and even if we don't, we got this other game so we can go win. Right, and I don't, I, I'll, I think we'll blow I That's my hope. That's my hope. I'd like to see them win by two or three scores on Christmas Eve. And, and if you hop up on them early, Denver's, or Miami's going to fold so quick. Yeah. Like, you get a 10 nothing, that game is done. Which uh, I, I kind of thought against San Diego, too, not going to lie, or against Carson. So. I was kind of thinking that game was over at 10-0. Yeah. So. A couple things that um, I think are also playing into how the team has performed over the last few weeks, aside from the Peters suspension. Um, I mean, Matt Nagy seems like he's kind of the talk of the town. Yep. Um, I don't have the, the stats. You guys can look at it just as easily as I can on how many points they've scored since Nagy took over. I think they're basically averaging 30 points a game against the Jets, Raiders, and Chargers. Um, I don't know if they just simplified some things. I don't know that it even has anything to do with Nagy calling plays because Andy credited um, uh, Andy Heck for simplifying some things for the offensive line. I don't think... Andy I, shit. I could be wrong, but like I don't. I don't think that... If Matt Nagy were calling, you know, running plays, that it would be any different than Andy Reid calling running plays. Like I do think that there was probably some sort of it's dumbing down or philosophical, philosophical change, yeah. right? And I, I mean, I like that maybe some of Andy's tendencies can go away with Andy not calling plays. I like that Andy Reid is not going to be totally 100% focused on the offense. I mean, people were commenting on him talking to Bob Sutton a few times during the game. And That's like, an interesting... When do you ever see that? It's an interesting little theory, like him just... Obviously not calling plays on defense, but just, like, telling or helping Bob with what he wants to see. Like, yeah. like let's get some pressure on the quarterback this drive or something. Well, and a, a couple things... And, I mean, I don't know if this is hyperbole or not, but, like, I can't remember who I was listening to. I want to say it was maybe Neil Smith on 610... They were talking about how, like, getting praise from your head coach is more valuable than, say, your coordinator or your position coach. Like, yeah. he's the head coach. Yeah. And and I think that specifically in, in Kansas City, because Andy Reid is such a player's coach and he's so well-liked and he's so well-respected that, like, praise from Andy Reid goes a long way. I mean, you saw, I'm sure... Rakeem Nunez Roaches's reaction to BJ putting out a quote from Andy mm-hmm. that that Nacho may not have heard or seen, and BJ just sent out a tweet about like he's working his tail off. He's you know one of our most consistent players right now, and 
Nacho replied to it and was like, thank you, Andy. And, I mean, maybe that's just him and he's kind of a, a bubbly personality guy. I don't know. But, like, if Andy constantly has his head in a play sheet or constantly talking to the offense and is, like, never giving the defense attaboys or whatever mm-hmm. and this frees him up to do that, like, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to read between the lines a little bit. Um, I mean, there are people that are saying that Matt Nagy might be a really hot head coaching candidate. Yep. Um, and that I don't, I don't like. I, I mean, think it's great think that it, when you have team success that that like suddenly guys start branching out. But I mean, there are going to be two different teams whose general managers came from Kansas City. That that means that you know they could be plucking guys from our staff or you know from our free agents. Like, what if the Chiefs suddenly have competition to sign Albert Wilson because John Dorsey or Chris Ballard really like you know, his ability to play in this offense. Like, mm, yeah. I mean, that's kind of stuff that, like, I just, it sucks. Like, I just don't want to, you know, have to worry about that. I think people are giving credit to these coaches a lot because the Andy Reid coaching tree is so damn successful. Yeah. Like, I saw someone, I don't know who put it out yesterday, but I, I saw someone tweet it. Uh, apologies to whoever. Uh, some guy. Yeah, some guy. 69, yeah, 420. No, 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 I wasn't it. I wasn't it. Okay. He has me blocked. Oh. Hmm. Weird. <laughs> Uh, but he was just like, you know, Belichick's coaching tree hasn't done shit, essentially, yeah. when Andy's coaching tree is just like 10 successful head coaches over here. Yeah. Uh, so I think people just keep going to the well. Like, he's yeah. coaches up as coaches, I guess. Can I can I tell you a random thought that I had today? No. Okay. Well. Um, so instead of the random thought, <laughs> the, other, the other thing that uh, I, I think has played a really really big factor for the Chiefs, uh, especially at least in, in the last two weeks of the kind of the Marcus Peters saga, if you will, it's Eric Berry. And I, I mean, we discussed it a little bit last week and, and I don't want to, to blow things out of proportion that like you can't really quantify, but isn't that like, isn't that Eric Berry's career? Like the stats have always been, you know, pretty good and, you know, he's always looked like he's for, for the part mostly. I think like there have been times where you're just like, I don't know how good he is, but clearly he's not a bad football player. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking about the contract. It's like, well, the guy beat cancer and he's come back from, you know, tearing an ACL or an Achilles, probably an Achilles, but it might've been an ACL. I don't remember. No. But it's like, you know, what, what can't this guy do? And so we're talking about like all these, these intangibles which, if I mean, think about that word literally. Like, you don't. There's not something it. about it that you can grab. You can't see. It. You don't know what it is. But like, the the aura around Eric Berry of him being on the sideline or being in the locker room, like, I mean, Eric, Eric Berry has had such a profound impact on this team, and I don't know if that means that they're just going to say like, Eric, we you know we need you basically every week from here on out. I don't know if that's good for him or if that's good for the team or what, but it's undeniable the correlation that you see between the team playing well and Eric Berry being, you know, right there in Bob Sutton's pocket and mm-hmm. being on the sidelines and just being involved in what's happening. Yeah, there was an article today about uh, talking about how Raglan calling the defensive plays now, and he was talking about how Eric Berry would, would call him up for the entire defense and quiz him 
on what was going on, on a specific player's favorite route, on what the team likes to do in a specific situation. This, like, in the last couple weeks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And Ragnar was just talking about how Eric Berry was doing this. I assume it's the last couple weeks because he's been around so much more. Right. And I also think it's... I also think the Chiefs called in Eric Berry. Like, yeah. they brought him in. They saw a, a hole in leadership. They saw Marcus Peters maybe missing his quote-unquote mentor. And, they you know, they called him into work. And this was not an accident. Like, this yeah. was... So Eric Berry is, is the wolf from Pulp Fiction? Yeah. I think that's what <laughs> Kaiser always calls him. I think Kaiser's mm. called him. Interesting. Uh, what do you think about a little Alex Smith deep dive? I mean... Before my computer dies. It's what we do. Or else we can't be missing out on this. <laughs> Calling it after one dive this week because I got 2% left on my, on my computer. So Alex Smith, his stats... Putting up some stats. Something I've become infatuated with is basically Alex Smith's stats and how we perceive him. His stats. <laughs> stats. You know what I'm obsessed with? His stats. Stats. You could even say. Was that in the news? No. No. I mean, well, that was there, but it was. It was supposed to be. So I think other fans like watching nationally televised games and like hearing, maybe like seeing on Twitter like, hey, Chiefs fans are ready to move on. We all think Mahomes is going to take over week one next year. And then they see Alex Smith's stats pop up and it's, you know, 22 touchdowns, four interceptions. And they're all just like, why in the hell would they get rid of this guy? Mm -hmm. uh, so I just want to do a, a, a deep dive on how good those stats are looking. Oh, I thought you were going to deep dive on. Here are all the reasons that we want to move yeah. on from Alex Smith. <laughs> Actually, guys. No, we've actually been doing that for four and a half years. <laughs> so Alex Smith's rankings in his career. This is his career numbers. Most yards, most touchdowns, best interception percentage, first in yards per attempt, first in rating, second in completion percentage, but somehow only his fourth highest QBR, which is... Shocking to me. Behind his 2012 season with the Niners, and then 2015 and 2016 with the Chiefs. He actually has a lower QBR this year, somehow. That stat doesn't make any sense. I know, right? That's I was dumbfounded by that. Uh, here's some numbers in how he ranks in the NFL this year. Uh, third in completion percentage, third in yards per attempt, second in interception percentage, fifth in TD percentage, first in rating, sixth in QBR. Um, these are all... Unbelievable. In Chiefs history, he has, he's 610 yards away from the second most passing yards in team history. He's not going to get to number one. He probably won't get to number two because he's probably not going to play week 17. Mm. Uh, he has five passing touchdowns away from the most in team history. And then you go to the all-time stats. How about over 25 touchdowns, under six interceptions. He has five now, so I'm giving him one for the rest of the year. He's at 25 touchdowns right now, too, so only going up from there. And over 8 yards per attempt. He's at 8.6 right now, so we'll finish over 8. It has been done by Aaron Rodgers twice, Tom Brady once, and Nick Foles once. That's it. Hmm. That's it. That's, that's, I mean, that's, these are their most important stats. Touchdowns, not turning the ball over, and yards per attempt. And he's up there with like some of the all-time best QB seasons. And... I don't know, what does this mean? Like, what do we make of this? 
Is this all Andy Reid? Is this all because his bad plays don't really register his stats because he takes bad sacks and he doesn't throw some some passes that he should, and so that those don't get registered as official stats? Like I don't, I don't know what to make of this. How can his stats be so good and we still question him all the time and are so eager to move on? And I get that we're excited about Mahomes, but are we too deep in the forest to see the woods or trees or something or whoever that quote works? There's a quote. There's a quote like that. Let me. Do you have any thoughts on this? Like I, I'm, I'm kind of struggle to comprehend. So here's this is the best explanation I can give, and this is something that uh, I explained to uh, my buddies in Hayes. This is something that uh, I've, Peter's I've, I've had some some conversations over the past couple weeks about this um let's say because people keep wondering like what what would it take for the chiefs to not get rid of alex in the offseason right if the savings for cutting alex smith are upwards of 17 or 18 million dollars i want to try to i'm going to give you a, a list of guys and I want you to think about the position that the Chiefs are currently in. Okay? They have drafted the replacement. And in the only times that you've seen him exposed to the elements in preseason, he looked tremendous. You've basically set up your team to move on. And you're, you have a great financial gain from moving on. Even if you win the Super Bowl... How many guys in the NFL that would be in a comparable position because you wouldn't be... We're not talking about, you know, (coughs) Russell Wilson or something. You know, we're not talking about Carson Wentz. It's not the, the young players. But of these old, aging quarterbacks, how many of them would you keep when you can save $18 million? And you just accomplished, essentially, what you set out to accomplish... So you can let that guy leave on the highest possible note and then move into your rookie quarterback because it's time. Like, I would have a very long and very serious conversation with every single veteran quarterback in the league. Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, Eli Manning, Drew Brees. I don't care. And all of those guys are way more accomplished than Alex Smith. And don't get me wrong, I think that Alex is younger than all of those guys. But, like, the only person that's up there in age that I would be like, I, I, I don't care, saving 18 million bucks, I'm still keeping him, is probably Rodgers. I mean, all of those guys. Well, you're not you're cutting I mean, Brady? I'd, I'd have a long talk about that. I mean, think about it. His replacement is behind him. Well, they just have the opportunity to, and they and they, and they Right. And, I mean, I it's just a matter of... You have earned the right to make as much money as possible, and if I can save, you know, seventeen or eighteen million dollars and get something because I can turn around and trade you, like I'm having that conversation with Tom and Ben and Philip Rivers and Drew Brees. I'm doing it with all of them because the replacement is here, and I do not want to. I mean, I say waste, but like I'm we. How, how many years in a row have 
you and I or Nick or Danny or even probably higher profile people than them talked about the most valuable asset mm-hmm. is having a starting quarterback on a rookie deal, especially if they're playing well. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to rob this team of its ability to do that. And, I mean, especially because we're talking about Alex Smith instead of those other guys. This season for Alex is certainly the exception and not the rule. And we know that he's played really well, but, like, I mean, is anyone, even if you look at those numbers and put them in context, is anyone looking at Alex Smith and just being like, man, I have to have that quarterback? No, but that's the thing. Like, like are these stats just lying? I don't think so. Like, it's not like... Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was going to make a comparison, but it doesn't, it doesn't fly. You know what's really interesting? You, so you mentioned, like, that his negative plays seem to, like, not show up in the stat sheet. That was the best explanation I could come up with. Because the things that I think he is worse at is, you know, his, his pocket presence. And that only really shows up in his, in his uh, sack totals. Right. And, I mean, can you, like, put third down percentage on Alex Smith or something? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because if, if if it's if it's a long enough sample, like an entire season, yes, definitely. And I mean, the maybe not like a single the, game because it could be like, well, there was third and fourteen and third and seventeen and all this and third I, and one, and we ran and got stuffed. But I think they over the course of the entire season, down. yes. And they're not great on third down, so that's another one. And and he's and he's you know safe as safe as it gets. You don't. So there's a lot rather. of throws. But I mean, even with that, his yards per attempt are like incredibly high this year. You'd almost rather that instead of taking some of those sacks, that it would be interceptions instead of sacks. Because, oh yes, yeah. because at least the ball would be further down oh, yeah. the field. I mean, I guess we have the That's opportunity what we to about. punt. So we've always talked about is that he prefers. It's been drilled in his head that a sack is better than a pick, and that's why he's always among the NFL sacks taken leaders and among the NFL's you know. You know, and, and, best and not throwing interceptions. It totally depends on the situation because it's essentially like the only time that you don't then get to control your destiny is if he's, you know, if he's throwing, or if, I guess if he takes a sack on fourth down, you'd rather have a pick because of yardage differential. But like on third down, if he takes the sack, like, you know, you, you get to punt. Yeah. And you can argue about whether or not you think Colk was good at that anymore, but I mean, <laughs> it's. I'd love to. <laughs> I. It, it, I I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think that the numbers for Alex, they're, they're fantastic. It's exactly what you wanted, for sure. But I still think that you have someone behind him in Mahomes that is so much more physically gifted. Yep. And he gets... Maybe they don't think he, he gets is... all the same advantages. I feel like, for some reason, I came... I was thinking a lot yesterday, and I just kept thinking that we might keep Alex around. Even if that's in a backup's role. Like, I just want to know how safe they want to play it. Like, because I actually thought this while playing Madden, because I had, like, the exact same situation. I was like, eh, I'm going to keep the, you know, it was Alex Smith, actually, because I drafted Mahomes and, and blah, 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 did the whole thing. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to keep Alex just in case he gets hurt, so I, I have a good backup. And then it crossed my mind, like, shit, what if the Chiefs are saying, like, the same thing? Like, I, I know you get the $18 million, and that's huge, but there's also tons of money to be saved already. And maybe they don't want to be big spenders in the free agency yet. Um, so maybe they don't see the $18 million as, as that big or, or, or maybe. But then the draft pick, I mean, if it's just a fourth-round draft pick, that's not much. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I almost wonder if there's going to be, like, we're going to be waiting out teams. Like, nope, we need a, at least a second-round pick or else we ain't moving them. And he just kind of sits on the roster until, like, June. I think that's very possible. I I guess. I mean, I saw someone send a tweet the other day that said Andy Reid got a second-round pick and, like, a 24- or 25-year-old Dominique Rogers-Cromartie for Kevin Cobb. Hmm. Um, and Rogers Cromarty was a high pick, you know, and that's Cobb was probably twenty five or twenty six at the time, and I mean, I don't, I, I don't know, but I just, I I'm not know. saying I'm not necessarily making the argument that they should. I just think it's way more in play than people are are thinking right now. It, I'll say I that. Mean, it could put be. me in the corner of I can. I think it's very possible Alex Smith's on the team next year. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, so I want to I want to ask you real quick before we get out of here. Um, in beating Miami, like I know that if the Chiefs if the Chiefs beat the Dolphins, that we think that in many ways Week 17's kind of taking a break. You think that a lot of guys are going to get rest. Yeah. Um, over the last two weeks, Kareem has basically like sixty touches. Um, the Chiefs have looked great doing mm-hmm. uh, I mean, are you interested in trying to do that again when it's cold and you're playing the Dolphins? Oh, I this mean, week? Yeah. Uh, if necessary. I would go to them early and often because I, I just think the running game is what drives this offense now. Like, I don't... Yeah. If the running game isn't working, I don't think our offense is that great. Yeah. Um, I guess that's fair. But, so, but, but if we get up, I'm, I'm down with shelving them. I I think it's just it's important to me. I think it's more important that, to get the week off. So get the win, yeah, and then give them the whole week to rest. Yeah, okay, I can dig that. So here, I mean, I just against San Diego, Carson, L.A., whatever you want to call them, Long Beach. I just man, I gotta tell you, like I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised, but really surprised with. Like, how fast and how confident Kareem looked. I mean, I want... It looked, looked great. It looked like he was being shot out of a cannon. How quickly he was getting to the line. How decisive he was, like, when he was moving with the ball. And, I mean, you look back at a few weeks ago when he's constantly getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage and, like... Dude, there were plays where, don't get me wrong, he was fighting off tackles and stuff to even try to get back to the line of scrimmage, but, like, it didn't look that different from, like, Larry Johnson running into the backs of his offensive linemen because we're talking about, like, the guy just does not have a chance. Doesn't have the same burst, maybe? And, man, like, he looked so fresh and so fast. Dude, he looked looked fantastic against the Chargers. I would have gone clean there. Okay. (laughs) I... Is that is that the word that so fresh and so clean? But I thought I thought he looked great. Oh yeah, um, he's the difference maker, man. Yeah, he's, he's what can put us over the top. He 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 looked really good. And I I tell you what, man, I, I think it's it is worth mentioning. I said that my biggest fear about the Chargers was more Eric Fisher than anything. And he wasn't great. He wasn't great, but like. Eric Fisher could have ruined that game with the way that he's played over the last few weeks. Yeah. And I think that was a big step forward for him. 
Yeah, now, that doesn't mean that it turns into Eric Fisher suddenly gets to become a, a all-pro left tackle. No. But I will say it was certainly a promising effort. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's just serviceable. And he had some bad games in there, but I don't I don't think he's very good. I think we're going to pay him too much. We're yeah, not going to like that contract in a few years. They'll have the choice to be able to get out from under it in a few years, and they may decide to, or they may just try to get him to take a pay cut. Yeah, I think they have to keep him for him. 2018 at least, but yeah, could get him yeah. I think year. the out is after next year, where they can save like 10 million bucks That's if fine. they get rid of him. That's fine. I, uh, I also got to give props to Mitch Schwartz, who I've shit on a few times. And uh, what was it? He hasn't allowed a pressure in like eight games or something. Uh, well, I think he hasn't allowed a sack. He hasn't been responsible for a sack this oh, year. Okay. And he hadn't allowed. A, he didn't allow. He, he no. He allowed one hurry on um, against the Chargers on Saturday. Um, it's kind of a, a, a ongoing pattern lately of people like call out having good games. Schwartz, and Chris Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Ron Parker caught my ire, and he 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 made a few plays. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Did you wear your dish gloss, your dishwashing gloves? Oh yeah. On Saturday. You see those? Um, I found them on my neighbor's uh, back deck and just took took them to the game and put them right back there after the game. <laughs> <laughs> Should have left it there like, thanks. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I thought Mitch Schwartz... Oh, I also wanted to talk about a uh, a very inconsequential play that happened. Uh, later in the game, third and eight. And Tyreek just kind of just kind of leaked out to the right. And uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was something. Because Alex ends up breaking the pocket and scrambling right... And trying to hit Tyreek, and it's kind of a low throw, and Tyreek drops it, and blah, blah, blah. Nothing really happens. It's like nothing play. But I was thinking of, Andy keeps things in his back pocket. Like, he didn't break out that shovel pass until the Steelers game last year. And I kind of saw this play, and I was, I was thinking, like, Alex either likes to hit his first read, and if it's not open, then he kind of tucks his head and looks to scramble. So, if you kind of just leave Tyreek in the flat to the right, okay, Alex looks for that first read, say it's covered, breaks the pocket and starts scrambling right, that's an opportunity to make a lot of big plays, just because you'll get the defense kind of coming up, and then you got to throw it over the top of them. And I think if you just have Tyreek in the flat, and then have Alex scrambling right, it's almost like a delayed little run-pass option. Like, are you following me here? I'm. What I'm imagining is Tyreek is so fast that if you basically just put him into his route late after Alex breaks the pocket... He, was, he kind of just ran to the sideline and just kind of stood there. And then once Alex scrambled out to the right, he kind of broke downfield. Yeah. So say you, Alex looks like he's going to run, get a defender to commit, and then just dump it off to Tyreek. And then you get his playmaking ability in open field... And I think it's just a recipe for big plays to happen. And, I, and I, I'm kind of wondering if that's the Andy Reid wrinkle that we see down the stretch. Just like a little play that looked like absolutely nothing, but I think it could be something. Just getting Alex and Tyreek out into the flats and just, here Tyreek, here's the ball in open field with, with a defender, with, with less defenders around you. Here, go to work. If I can be honest, like there are certain elements of Andy Reid's creativity that I like. Um, but I think that I'm also a little bit 
over Andy like trying to to use it can like continually. I think that Andy has a couple different elements that he can <coughs> bring to a game um, when it's like we really we really mm-hmm. need something. We've seen him be able to do that, but like I don't want it to become this you know <coughs> this part of the offense that you end up seeing like oh. You know, we we ran the shovel pass three too many times. Now they well, definitely got figured out over the course of the year. They may end up. The idea is that you just again. spring it on a team. They have no film on, on it whatsoever. Right. I mean, you had the same thing with like the Hill Mary. You had the same thing for a little while with sort of the downfield screen. Yeah. You know, like Andy's able to do that, and so I know that he probably has a thing or two up his sleeve, and I just want him. To save that to be able to use in round two or round three of the playoffs. And then we don't... But that doesn't mean that it then has to be run four times. Or that we have to run it, you know, a bunch of times in 2018. Like, Andy, just draw something up and it's a, you know, one-time use. And if it works, that's great. And maybe you can try it again. I don't, like, see, I don't think it's like a called play. It's just like a secondary option of a play. Like, like you still want him... You still want Alex to make the first read. Yeah. But we know if, if the first read isn't there, Alex likes to tuck it. He ain't looking to progress through his reads. He's looking to, okay, that guy's not open. I misread the coverage here, so I'm going to look to scramble now. And so if he looks to scramble and then can put it in Tyreek's hands instead of his own hands and let him do the scrambling, that's where I think you could see some big things. And that, among other reasons, is why the Chiefs are looking to get rid of Alex Smith after the season. There you go. All right, folks, this has been Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall. He is his darkness it's almost Christmas. This is our last episode before Christmas. Before Festivus. Um, so, yeah. oh man, you're going to have that Christmas party. I can't be there. I can't work. The office, the office, the amateur hour office Christmas party. Yeah. You're going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. It's well, just going to be me. Sorry, man. Just, <laughs> just going to be me and Chiefs fans 69 420. <laughs> Doing deep dives. Well, folks, this is Chance the Rapper. And Jeremy from their... Uh, Brandly, Brandly, newly released Lee album, Merry Christmas, Little we'll Mama. Say. Just two. We'll see. Mm. It looks like uh, it's going to be very cold on Sunday. Good. Yeah. I, I, I was cold like, I was like, oh man, it's only going to be like... 20 bucks to get in that game. Maybe we should go. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be like the same number of dollars to get into, into the game as it is degrees outside. <laughs> so that's not going to happen. I've got a, I've got a fantasy Super Bowl monitor. So not not the best week oh. to attend the game. Yeah. Yeah, jerk me off. Yeah. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in two fantasy Super Bowls. Are you? But I mean, there. It's like I drafted teams on ESPN against like random other users. Uh-huh. But I'm in the championship game of both leagues. Because <laughs> you were like the one guy that monitored your lineup. Um, no, I drafted well. Um, I mean, they're both 12 team leagues, and one of them, my first two picks were Antonio Brown and Hopkins, and then I was able to draft Tyreek Hill in like the eighth round, and nice. I mean. Like, both teams are pretty stacked. The the other team... I've been carried by Adam Thielen. Uh, so, I've got, I've got one team that's, like, super stacked at receiver, and then the other team is Todd Gurley, Kamara, and Kareem. So, like, 
I mean, I just, I didn't like really any of the running backs early. I didn't take running back until like fourth or fifth round. So it was like, I, both teams ended up with Carlos Hyde on them. Oh, I got, I got Hyde. Uh, it's been alright. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been serviceable. But like, for the most part, it was like, I was trying to rely on like getting Kareem Hunt and Dalvin Cook and some of those guys late. Not going to win any money, but bragging rights against strangers. Suck it! <laughs> I'm a message board. Got him.